there are two basic motivating forces, fear and love. When we're afraid, we pull back from life. When we're in love, we open up to all that life has to offer with passion, excitement, and acceptance. Coming to you from our studio in Santa Barbara, California, this is the Fear Me Out podcast. We're not your typical self-help program. Our show takes a deep dive into those psychological issues that affect us on a daily basis. We hope to shift your perspective and have you experiencing emotions differently. Now here are your hosts, Kim Foskey and Dr. Dana Saperstein. So this is uh, usually part of the show where you hear an intro from me, where I give you some context uh, to the episode you're about to listen. But today we're just going to skip the intro. And I'm going to take a moment here to, to thank you listeners that have uh, either tuned in through, uh, this is probably going to be at least episode 18, maybe episode 20, or those that periodically uh, check in and, and uh, listen to the episodes that uh, um, have interest to you. Again, we want to thank you um, as we continue to make this podcast better and get uh, different guests that have uh, varying opinions, maybe sometimes polarizing opinions, maybe sometimes expert opinions on, on certain things, but uh, we hope that uh, you're getting something out of the podcast. And again, we appreciate you listening uh, week in and week out. Um, we do encourage your feedback either through our email at uh, fearmeoutpodcast at gmail.com or through uh, either Facebook or um, Instagram. Um, it, it does help us, um, good, bad, or indifferent, um, in, in terms of, of how we continue to, uh, to do the show and, and topics that we continue to discuss or, or will discuss guests that, that we have and, and so on and so forth. So please, uh, please provide your feedback to us. Um, it, it's extremely helpful to us. And, and, and again, if you differ with us, that's okay. Um, but we also love the positive, uh, comments uh, as well. Um, and, and again, at some point, uh, you know, we're going to take, uh, take your questions and, and do an episode just based on questions that come in through social media or, or through email. And, and again, as you know, we're a long form, uh, podcast, uh, 60 minutes in length. So, uh, hopefully, you know, we have, 20, 25 questions that, that come in um, that uh, both Dana and I can discuss and uh, um, make it interesting for, for everybody listening. So anyway, uh, I know Dana is eager to talk today, um, and I'm going to start off. Uh, this is a very important uh, um, subject that we're going to talk about. It's a premise in the book that uh, hopefully will be done soon and uh, released uh, sometime here in, in 2022. Uh, but we're going to talk about intuition today. And uh, Dana, the first question I'm going to ask you is, have you ever not trusted your gut? Uh, you know, that's a good question, Kim. Um, I would say absolutely. I have. I had to learn, like we all do the hard way, what happens when you don't trust your intuition. Um, generally speaking, uh, it creates a, either a minor or major disaster in your life. Um, but I was really lucky because uh, when I was about 21, I uh, started doing therapy with a man here in Santa Barbara that was, he was very enlightened in, in this way. And he was the person that initially taught me 
how important it was to be really connected to how you feel deep down inside. And um, I saw him for a very long period of time, did really intense therapy with him, and so it kind of got cemented in me the importance of um, why your intuition lives inside of you and what's pur- what purpose it serves and um, what can happen to you if you trust it and what can happen to you if you don't. Um, I didn't necessarily have a spiritual connection at that time. Um, that was a harder sell for me um, because of the unfortunate experiences I had in organized religion as a kid. Uh, so that part of, of the intuition in terms of my seeing it as God's voice inside of us and looking at it as being really, truly sacred didn't happen until I was in my 30s. And that uh, happened as a result of, of, of developing a relationship in a pretty magical way with God and realizing that uh, the more that I kind of surrendered in a positive, healthy way to that aspect of my life, to really believe in that God had an interest in helping me help the people that I work with and so on and so forth, um, that's what what really, um, I don't think I've ever dis- dismissed it since that period of time. Eventually, we'll start talking about faith, which is another premise and context within managing fear and within the book and within the podcast. Um, I'm interested to hear from you, though, being a person in his 30s, that finally had a relationship with God. How did that transpire? Uh, yeah, it's kind of a bit of a long story, but it. Um, we I, have I'm, an hour. Okay, I, I was uh, at that point in my life. My daughter was about four. My son was two, and I started having really severe nightmare, night after night after night, and um, it was a really disturbing dream. In that, I was in a sort of a green tiled room, and there was a man that was chasing me with a syringe. And uh, I would be running away from him, and then I'd wake up in a cold sweat, panic, kicking and screaming. And it was quite disruptive. My wife, you know, kind of got scared that I might accidentally, you know, kick her in the process of my trying to get away from this fellow. Um, um, I tried really hard to figure out why I was having this repetitive dream night after night. I even went back and talked to my mentor. He said that he had really no idea what to tell me. And then... um, I made an acquaintance of a fellow who had an office uh, next door to the one I was working in, and he was kind enough to invite me. This was 1989, New Year's Eve, over to his house because he just said intuitively, he had a feeling that I should meet a friend of his who uh, was a very unusual person, but he wouldn't tell me anything other than that. That was enough to intrigue me. Uh, So my wife and I and my kids went over to this man's house, and the kids were off playing, and and my wife and I were sitting in his living room, and all of a sudden there was a knock at the door, and these, this woman came in and sat down next to me, very unassuming person. Um, and she you know, said to me, you know, our, friend, our mutual friend Alan tells me that uh, uh, you know, you're having some interesting experiences doing hypnosis in your office and that, um, um, you know, that you're open to sort of different ways of being a therapist. And I said, yeah, you know, it's been interesting and fun. And then, um, in a very strange uh, set of circumstances, she's picked up a pad and and a pen, and just started writing. And I'm thinking to myself, "What the? You know, what's going? Why is this woman sitting next to me on the couch writing uh, on a pad furiously?" 
And she wrote for about 10 minutes and we're, you know, we're chatting and I keep looking at her thinking, what is with this woman? You know, that's not a normal thing you do in a social situation. And then she hands me the pad. And uh, the salutation said, God, comma, welcome on it. And I thought, well, you know, what the hell is this? I, you know, the, the, first of all, I didn't believe there was such a thing as God. Um, so, I, you know, it was kind of puzzling. And then I started to read what she wrote. And as soon as I started to read what she wrote, I realized that what she was writing about was why I was having the nightmare that I was having. Everything uh, came back to me in a flash. So it was, and, that, it was that crystal clear as you were reading what she had written that you understood it right away. Well, she was really writing about what happened to me that was causing the dream. And she gave a very uh, a sort of detailed description of it. And it, But as soon as I started to read it, I remembered everything, even before I read what was on the pad. I, it was enough for me to... Um, to begin the writing and because it described a situation where when I was four years old, I went in the hospital and back in those days, uh, your parents didn't stay with you when you were in the hospital and I had to have surgery, uh, the next morning. And so my parents left and an orderly in the hospital came and, uh, and he molested me and he told me that if I told anybody, uh, he would, he would kill me basically. And so the next morning when I woke up to go to the surgery, he was wheeling uh, me in on the gurney into the operating room, and I was really scared because uh, of what happened. And then when they started to anesthetize me, um, I thought they were actually killing me because I was losing consciousness and I'd never you know, been under before. So I just started screaming at the top of my lungs, I won't tell, I won't tell, I won't tell. And I woke up from that surgery and I completely blocked out what it is that happened uh, while I was there. There was no memory in any way, shape, or form inside of me until... Um, I started having that nightmare, and it was the same age I was, my daughter was at the same time, and I think it was her little, her little person that just reminded me of what I was like at that period of time. And then meeting uh, this woman, Catherine, and having um, that experience with her, uh, I mean, I'm a hard sell. I'm not somebody who believes very easily, and again, I think I've mentioned before that uh, if you asked me what my religion was at that period of time, I would have told you I was an antagonist, right? Not atheist or agnostic, but I was so anti-religion that I was actually probably really obnoxious in my uh, my ferocity about the that there's no such thing as God or any of that sort of thing. That experience turned me upside down in a way where I woke up the next morning and realized that I all of a sudden did believe in God, and I experienced an incredible miracle. And um, it was so compelling that I thought, I got to learn how to do this because if I can do what she did for me with the people that come and see me, it would be so revolutionary in terms of changing people's lives and helping them heal things that uh, either they remember or not. But it was just so powerful um, that I sort of set about, you know, wanting to figure out what that was all about. Did you, when you started to believe in God, did you, did you believe in the the common description of God? No, because I don't believe that God is a person. I never did. Um, I don't think that God has a gender. Um, and I think, again, that that people have co-opted God in the name of religion. Not that, you know, being a religious person is a bad thing necessarily, but I was never somebody who could ascribe to organized religion because of the hypocrisy and the other, th- and because I was forced to participate against my will as a little kid. Um, it just ruined it for me. Um, 
So again, uh, you know, part of what I came to understand is that, you know, if God had to wait for me to go to church or temple or whatever, uh, wasn't going to happen. It wasn't ever going to happen. So it had to come to me in a way, kind of left me unable to deny the existence of God. And then um, a number of months later, uh, I was still sort of shaky in terms of my complete faith because it was it, it was just so new and a little bit scary to be to be willing to to sort of surrender yourself to something and be that dependent upon it because you know we're all brought up to believe we shouldn't depend on anybody but ourselves um and I went to sleep and I had a dream uh that God came to visit me at a house I lived in when I was uh, in high school but I was the age I was now and there was a knock at the door I opened the door and there was a man standing there and I immediately recognized the man was God and I said God what are you doing here and God first explained to me that um that uh there is no such thing as God being a person, that God's not a man or a woman. But in order for us to have a conversation, God had to appear in a in human form so that we could, you know, talk to each other. So I said, okay, well, so what is it that you're here for? And God said, well, I came to answer your questions because I can tell that your faith is still a bit shaky and I would really love to, to help you get to a place where, um, uh, you know, where you and I can be very much bonded and wedded to each other. And I thought that was such an amazing uh, thing that I, the gift that I was going to be given in that moment, so I said, "Okay, so what's the deal?" And the first thing that God said to me is that um, that God is love, and that if I ever want to feel love, all I have to do is think about the concept of God, and I will immediately feel that love and that connection, and that that connection is always there, and um, that the only time I won't feel is if I turn away from God, because God never turns away from people. And I thought, well, that sounds pretty cool. I mean, who doesn't want to feel love whenever they want to feel love? And so I uh, I was willing to accept that. I just thought it was great. And I said, well, is there anything else? And God said, yeah. Um, human beings have a really hard time with forgiveness. And that uh, it's something that, that all human beings struggle with, is being able to forgive the people that have harmed me and for me to ask forgiveness from the people that I have hurt and harmed and that what God was asking me to do is to work really hard at that concept of forgiveness so that it wouldn't so that the hurts that I incurred from other people wouldn't be a, a central factor in my life and that the, the, the hurt that I've caused other people um, that I could relieve myself of that guilt and discomfort. So again, I took that as very serious uh, you know task and have worked really hard at forgiving and be, and asking for forgiveness. And so that was really wonderful. And then I said, is there anything else? And God said, yeah, there is one more thing that's really important for right now. And uh, God said, uh, because of your chosen profession, being a, a psychologist and working with people that uh, have been traumatized, um, I don't want you to necessarily have to feel frightened when somebody comes into your office in a with a great deal of pain and with the, the things that will find that you will find will come your way, you know, they're, they're unspeakable in a lot of ways because of uh, the way that people are treated when they're, when they're kids. And so if I allow God to be with me all the time, then God will take care of the pain. I can be the human representative of the healing process. And that if we work together, it will be a sort of a seamless process of healing. And I just thought, oh my God, that oh my God, that's an incredible gift. 
it's so amazing that you know that I uh, that I was you know we, we, all I had to do was choose to do it, and I will tell you that since that time, if I ever feel confused or kind of stuck, I just think, okay, God, what what, what am I missing here, or you know what's most important for me to concentrate on, and and I have yet to not receive an answer, and so. I will say uh, that I, when I'm in my professional life, it's very rare for me to feel fear, no matter what a person brings into my world. And I can welcome as much pain as a person can carry and not feel overwhelmed by it because I realize that it's not just me that's, uh, that's there in the room. Some people I explain this to and other people who are not so uh, sort of crazy about the idea of God, I just kind of keep it quiet. But nonetheless, it is made for a really lovely professional life. I don't think you could have scripted a better dream. Yeah, than, it was than, it was pretty cool. than that. I, I I don't know how many epiphanies come from dreams. Uh, that one was cool. But that one was that one was pretty cool. Well, and at the end of that dream, I was sitting in my bed, sort of floating around with a big smile on my face, and I heard this music playing. I've never heard this music before. I've never heard it since. I didn't even know that music like this existed in the world. And I thought to myself, God, what is this? And the message I got is that this is what the angels sound like when they're singing in heaven. It was very, very sweet. And that, I, that dream lasted a long, I mean, for many months afterwards, all I had to do was think about it. And I was like, wow, that was so incredible. But God hasn't come back since. Well, not in that way, but I feel the presence of God every day, all the time. So intuition is innate to all of us. I believe that, yes. And I believe it as, as well. Uh, some of us are more tuned into it than, than others. Um, why do we allow our, you're the expert, um, why do we allow our conscious or subconscious to dictate what our intuition is trying to tell us? Why do we, over, why do we constantly try and overthink it or outthink it? Well, I think that for uh, there's a couple of reasons. Number one is that if you choose to be married to your intuition and allow it to be the central sacred part of your existence, it, it, it can make your life more full and richer, but it doesn't make life easier. Because a lot of times the things that you feel, you have no way of proving them in any sort of rational sense. Right, and, and again, that's a great differentiation, right? That intuition is a feeling, not a thought. Right. And so you have to be willing to, to trust your feelings as being kind of the central part of your existence and your connection to reality. And I will say I've had a lot of debates with people who don't like that idea that what you feel is real, not what you think, and that you were given a brain in order to decide what to do about how you feel, not the other way around. Because it means that reality changes from a moment-to-moment -moment basis based on how you're feeling. And that can lead us to feel anxious and uncomfortable because... Um, because we don't know what we're going to be feeling a few moments from now. So how does it all, I mean, how does it all start, right? If, if intuition is innate with us and we have this feeling, but apparently we're conditioned to think otherwise. Um, yeah, I mean, in our culture, in our society, um, I think a lot of times feeling is something, feel, your feelings are frightening, either to you the people around you, or both, right? If you're like you as an empath and somebody who's very sensitive and feels things really strongly, inherently the people in your life uh, are either going to be really comfortable with that quality that you possess or most likely what they're going to do is try to shut you down because they're scared about being seen 
and they're scared about being discovered. Yeah, there's certainly no in-between. Right? I mean, if you think about your father as an example, uh, how heavy-handed was he with you? Oh, extremely. Yeah. And I think that that... I and mean, then some. Yeah, and my guess would be that he saw the vulnerability in your eyes, and he could tell that you knew what kind of person that he was. And so he did everything he could to scare you into submission and to make you shut down and go away and leave him alone because um, you could have exposed him for the um, not-so-nice person that he was. So he bullied you. And usually when somebody is a bully, it's not because they're strong, it's because they're inherently weak and trying to overcome that or compensate for it by uh, being, you know, the first strike. We talked again about faith um, uh, a little bit being a parallel to intuition as well. Uh, do we have to, do you have to have faith to have intuition or do you have to have intuition to have faith? And I know this isn't a completely a faith discussion. You know, it's a, it's a bit of a difficult question for me to answer in that it depends what, how you might define faith, but um, I believe that my faith has grown as a result of my trusting my intuition because every time I make a decision that's based on what I'm feeling and, and it and turns out well, um, it increases my faith. Um, but this also has to do with the concept of dependency, which is really hard for all of us, in my opinion, to accept that human beings, in my mind, are the most dependent species on the face of the earth that we are born helpless for a longer period of time than any other life form that exists. And that that's really scary because if we're born to people who don't uh, take proper care of us, as an example, mm -hmm. we start to feel weak and start to feel like our, our dependency on those people um, uh, is what the problem is. And it's not the dependency in my mind that's the problem. It's the people that you depend on. But as a, you know, as a kid, you don't have any choice about who, who you come into the, to, to the world or who adopts you. Or who adopts you, yeah. I mean, you're stuck with what you got, and if what you got is not so great, then you go to war with yourself because all kids blame themselves for whatever it is that happens to them and whatever it is that doesn't happen for them. So we learn very quickly not to trust our intuition because it can be quite threatening to the people around us if those people uh, are pain-filled and have something to hide. And even the, the, they may not even be aware of the fact that they're filled with pain and have something to hide. I, I want to go back to when you had that dream. Okay. And so you're in your early thirties. Um, you're a psychologist by then. Yes. What did you know about your intuition or how much did you trust your intuition between whatever age up till you had that dream? I mean, was it something that was a navigator for you? Was it a term that you knew? It was a term that you were taught was it something that you trusted as your best friend? Well, I learned about the concept when I was in my 20s in the therapy that I was doing. So I did bring it into my professional life, but not in a, in a way where it was connected to faith. So uh, maybe that answers part of the question you asked a few moments ago, which is that you can have an intuitive connection and not really understand where it comes from. Okay. And, and you don't really need to even, you know, sometimes I talk with people and say, look, if you don't believe in God, that's okay. It's not a big deal. That's not the part that matters the most. It's really learning to trust yourself and being really loyal to what it is that you know. It, it just makes it a little bit easier if you have context to put it in. But if you don't, it's okay. I mean, the, the most important thing is that um, if you can become wedded to yourself, uh, 
it just makes negotiating life a lot easier. And I'm not talking about being self-centered. And that's a really important distinction I want to make. It's about being centered in yourself. I mean, we all know self-centered people that are, you know, obnoxious and that we would prefer not to have anything to do with. So that's not what I'm advocating. I'm advocating being centered in yourself. And rather than most of us who are centered on the outside and care way more about what other people think of us or how we're being received, then we actually care about ourselves. That makes total sense to me. As you know, I'm a late bloomer in terms or, or either that or I have a thick skull that, that doesn't get stuff through it as easily as other people. But I was in tune with my intuition early on. I think I spoke about it in one of the previous episodes, maybe when I was describing who I was and, and how I was brought up. But I still remember during the times of abuse as I was growing up, I would seek solace in, in the comfort of my closet in my bedroom. And I still remember the, the clothes would hang down in front of my face and over my ears. And, uh, and it brought me some relief. And, and I always had this feeling within myself that I wasn't alone in that closet. Now, again, I didn't know what that was. I wasn't brought up in a, you know, religious family either. So I didn't, you know, I probably knew the word God, but didn't know who God was or saw God on TV. But I always felt that I wasn't by myself. And, and growing up, I continued to have that feeling. But going back to what I said earlier, I was conditioned not to respond to that feeling. I was conditioned to think my way out of things or overthink my thing, way out of things. And like you said early, early on when we mentioned intuition, um, that usually sets you up um, for disappointment or failure most of the time. Right. Um, you know, when, when we're not trusting that inner, inner gut feeling that is telling you, yeah, this is okay, or this is bad, right? And allowing that, allowing your mind, whether that's the conscious self, the subconscious, to override that feeling. And, you know, I did that for the better part of um, five decades of my life. Right. In there, even though I knew, even though I, my intuition was there and sitting there kind of knocking on my, you know, on my inner wall of my stomach saying, hello, I'm, I'm, I'm here. But, you know, my, again, my head um, was swirling in, in ideas and, and other people's voices and, and allowing that to control my direction in life. There, Absolutely. Um, it, it's interesting, and, and, and maybe this is putting the cart before the horse in, the, in this discussion, but like I was saying, it took a better part of five decades before I finally embraced that intuition. Um, it was in, and in, in the best example that I can give in it was in, in a short relationship that I was in a couple of years ago um, with a woman that pretty much checked all the boxes of, of somebody that I was looking for in a, in a partner in life. But somehow through that courtship for the first couple of months, I had this really uneasy feeling. And that uneasy feeling turned into anxiety when I was with her. Um, and eventually, that anxiety turned into dread of being around this person. 
Um, and that person did nothing. Um, you know, it wasn't that that she was trying to control the situation or that she had some bad pathology herself or was mean or, or narcissistic or any of those things. This was this, you know, person it was perfect. It was, it was my body for the first time viscerally reacting to my head, trying to say, what's wrong with me? Why do I not, why am I not falling in love with this person? Why do I not like this person? Why would I rather be sitting on my couch watching ESPN instead of having her next to me here. And eventually, and it was very, it was, the visceral reaction was was so extreme that I couldn't sit around and, and will it away or wait till it left and try and act my way through the relationship. It was, okay, I, I know what's happening here. For the first time in my life, I'm actually going to listen to this feeling and I had to tell her it, uh, you know, the cliche again, um, unfortunately, was it, it's me, not you. And that was the truth at that is as, as painful as that was, I had to have that conversation because it was only fair, not only to her, but it was fair to me on that. Right. So um, it, it took, like I said, it took a better part of five decades before my intuition said, I've had enough of your conscious and I've had enough of your subconscious. I'm going to knock you right between the eyes now. Um, so I, I think what we're trying to do is at least get this out there for people that, that may be listening and, and interested in this or understand intuition or haven't fully embraced their intuition. Don't wait better part of five decades to finally embrace it. Embrace it now. You know, Kim, you're bringing up some really, really important points because you and I would not be having this conversation right now uh, if I was not um, really committed to that part of myself. Um, when I was 45, I went to go surfing one morning, and um, it was a really beautiful, lovely winter morning. Uh, the, I arrived um, at this surf spot that I've been to many times, I got there before my friends. Usually I meet my friends there, but I was about 20 minutes early. The waves were absolutely perfect and there was nobody in the water. Now, I don't know you know, how many people understand surfing, but if you can get to a place where the waves are perfect and nobody's in the water, you either have to wonder if there are sharks in the water or polio or something because <laughs> in Southern California, that's that not doesn't very, happen. It doesn't happen. So I'm standing there jonesing at the waves thinking to myself, like I get my wetsuit on as quick as I can get out there. And then all of a sudden I had this really strong feeling. It was like somebody was yelling at me that said, don't go in the water by yourself. It, it wasn't don't go in the water but wait till your friends uh, arrive. And I was thinking to myself, I'm not, I'm not going to listen to that. You know, I, I, the waves are perfect. My friends will get there. Everything will be fine. And I was really getting hammered big time about not to go in the water by myself. And finally, uh, good sense took over. And so I said, okay, I'll wait. I don't know what the hell the problem is, but I'll wait. So I waited for my friends to get there and we all put our wetsuits on and we all paddled down in the water and um, rode a couple waves, and then all of a sudden, I felt this enormous pressure uh, in my chest, and I couldn't breathe, and I kept thinking to myself, what is wrong with me? And um, I rode another wave, and I got halfway to the shore, and I was in so much pain, and I couldn't breathe, and, and um, I thought, oh my God, I got to go in. My friend just happened to be paddling back out after catching a wave, and he said to me, if you're having a heart attack, I'm going to kill you. He was joking around. Well, it turns out that... Um, 
I made it to the shore. I collapsed on the rocks. And my friends saw me, you know, obviously in quite a bit of distress. And it turns out that I was having a fatal heart attack. And that if I didn't wait for my friends to get there, I would have died on the beach. Surely. Because it was a really severe heart attack. Luckily, uh, one of my friends was a nurse and he knew what was happening. And there just happened to be a fireman whose uh, mom was on oxygen that lived in a house on that uh, stretch of beach. So he ran to the, that person's house, got an oxygen uh, tank for me until the paramedics got there and they rushed me to the hospital and did a, a, a you know, saved my life. Otherwise, I would have died for sure. So I'm, I'm only alive because I listened to my intuition in that really critical situation. I mean, that's, I mean, that's a pretty amazing story, right? I mean, for somebody that was a dedicated surfer to avoid going out in perfect waves on a, on a perfect morning with, with nobody out there because your inner voice told you not to do it. Um, it I, it's interesting to me how you actually, why, why you actually listen to that. You know, because again, the, the draw of the ocean and, okay, my voice is telling me not to do it, but I should go do that, right? Because I keep thinking of the battle that's going on in my head right now versus what I'm feeling. Right. Well, I will say, though, that at that point in time, I had already uh, had probably close to a decade of feeling really connected to God and feeling like I really had surrendered to that force in my life. And um, that's why I listened because I, I just sort of thought, okay, well, there must be a reason. Because I, I can't imagine that God would not want me to go surfing in perfect waves by myself. So there's got to be a reason why I am being uh, cared for in this way. And yeah, the impatience could have overtaken me, but um, I listened. But that's not the first time that my life, I mean, that's, I mean, I've had other experiences since that time where the sort of the same thing happened a, a number so, of years ago. So that later. was your intuition wake-up call. Yes. But in 2011, or maybe 2010, I started having really severe cardiac symptoms again. I had really bad chest pain and shortness of breath. And I, I went to the doctor and I had every test, cardiac test, that a person could have. And, and both the pulmonologist and the cardiologist said to me, there's nothing wrong with you. You could run a marathon now and be fine. But I, I, my symptoms were so severe, but I still kept going to the gym every day and I kept surfing all the time and I kept myself in as good a shape as I possibly could. But I was scared, really scared that, that something was wrong. And then finally, I was sitting uh, about a year later, sitting in the pulmonologist's office and um, I said to the doctor, I'm not nuts and I'm going to die really soon. So you got to take me seriously here because um, I'm not, this is not psychosomatic. There's something really wrong with me. He said, well, all the tests are normal. I don't know what to tell you. And I said, you got to figure what the hell's going on. Because I promise you, if you don't, I'm going to be a dead man really soon. So, you know, he called up the cardiologist while I was sitting in his office. And he said, you know, uh, I don't think this guy's crazy. He keeps telling me he's going to die. Maybe we should actually go in and look at his heart by doing a, a you know, a procedure that wasn't done because they don't do, they don't go in and look at your heart with a camera unless there's a real good reason to do it because it can cause problems. Anyway, so the doctor said, okay, I'll do it in a few weeks or whatever. They put it off because neither one of them believed me. Um, so two weeks later, I'm in the cath lab in the hospital and all of a sudden I look at the doctor 
and he's got sweat pouring down his face. And uh, the cath lab is like 40 below zero. They keep it really cold. And I'm thinking, why is this guy sweating? He comes up to me and he said to me, oh, my God, I am so sorry. And I'm thinking, holy crap, what? He said to me, all five of your coronary arteries are uh, completely occluded. And you are, uh, it's a miracle that you haven't died from a, from a fatal heart attack as a result of having all your arteries, the uh, major arteries closed up. And I said to him, well, what the hell? You know, I've been trying to tell you guys. He said, well, you know, all the tests were normal. And he said, the peripheral circulation must have taken the place of your arteries because you kept exercising and kept yourself in great shape and you fooled all of us. We got to do open heart surgery on you tomorrow. And so, you know, the next day I had 10 hours of open heart surgery and they were able to kind of put me back together again. But if that didn't happen, there was no way I would have, again, be here to have this conversation. The, the interesting thing you said in the early part of that story was that you were scared, scared that something was going on. So generally, most of us that are scared of something that potentially right. may or may not be happening tend to retreat away from it, Right. where you went toward it. So well, because again, I trust what my body is telling me, whether it's telling me through my intuition or through physical symptoms, I know that, that they don't happen for no reason. Right. And I, I why I'm trying to do this is to accentuate a point here, right? What we were talking about early on is that we tend not to listen to our intuition because of, of potentially what the negative ramification of listening to intuition is. Right. So I'd rather not suffer that pain, that grief, that, uh, that inconvenience or, or whatever, and take what, take what comes along with it versus trying to be proactive and listening to my intuition and, and getting through that piece. So that's what I'm trying to, to make that point here right? Uh, on that. And, and again, I, uh, on that topic right there of, of either retreating or being proactive, I wouldn't be sitting here doing a podcast with you or writing a book with you um, for that, for that simple reason right there. Because uh, again, when you approach me about the book idea, I think the first thing I said to you was no, because I had been, approached to write books a couple of times before, especially when I had gone in out into the consulting business. And apparently that writing a book is validity and credibility, no matter what you write on, it doesn't matter, just write a book and you're deemed an expert. And for me, it was just it was fear, right? For I mean, there's other things that factored into it, you know, just probably general malaise and not wanting to put the effort into it. But most of it was fear, because you know, I never really have deemed myself an expert in anything, you know, I, I know a little about a lot uh, of things, but never felt that I was an expert or could write anything that was compelling enough for somebody to read. And, and I was fearful of putting something out there that either made me a laughing stock or like my dad instilled in my head, yeah, you're never going to amount to anything. And that was going to be that calling card, putting it out there. So, you know, that was my natural reaction when you asked me to, to, to be your co-author on this book. It was like, yeah, no. And, it, and you remember, once I agreed, we had multiple meetings, and then finally, it was my intuition that I listened to and said something, the feeling was, this is, this is different than when I've been approached before, you know, and I had to, to kind of sit there and, and again, not be in my mind, but kind of sort through those thoughts. 
by saying it, but the feeling was of comfort that it was the right time with the right person in the right subject to do this with. And, and I felt really good with it. And, and again, as I've said before, the book's not done yet, but I'm actually enjoying this process that, that we're going through. And I'm actually learning a lot. And, and hopefully people that ultimately read the book down the road will learn something from it as well. And, you know, a, after I had trusted my intuition in, in becoming a co-author with you on this, this writing project, you know, you, you approached me about the podcast thing. And I said, hell no, not doing a podcast. And again, it was the, it was the same. I had to go back through and, and realize it was the same thought process that I was fearful of putting something out there that wasn't worthy. It wasn't and more worthy of, of, of me and what I wanted to put out there than what people would perceive it to be. You know, everybody has a, you know, there's 10,000 podcasts out there. And I thought there's a handful of ones that, that are any good, at least that I listen, that I listen to. And, and again, I had to go back through that, that same process that when you approached me about the book was about the podcast. And, and I said, okay, what's, what am I actually feeling about the podcast? Well, I'm feeling the podcast is actually the right thing. And I spent probably a month trying to talk myself out of doing it. <laughs> I kept telling myself, I'm going to regret this. I know I'm going to regret this. I'm going to get two podcasts in and say, I don't want to do this. I knew I didn't want to do this. But like I said, in the, uh, in when we started the podcast today, I, I mean, we're almost into episode 20 and I'm enjoying it more every time here. Absolutely. So, you know, again, there can be positives to it instead of running away from running away from it. I ran to it for the first time. And, right. and again, people listening that, that are younger than me don't run away, run toward it, you know, and, and don't wait six decades to, to finally embrace your intuition because you don't know what that opportunity is going to bring you and how it's going to enrich your life, how it's going to fulfill your life even, even more. Because I think like we were talking about that, you know, even with fear, it comes with an automatic negative connotation. And I think the intuition is the same thing. We talk about fear, your intuition is probably there to keep you safe and, and, and everything. Um, and so we don't look at it as a, that it can bring as much positive or probably even more positive than it ever brings negative into your life there. You know, Kim, so. you're bringing up a really, really good point, which is that, you know, I can describe situations that uh, my intuition saved my life. But what you're talking about is intuition enhancing your life in some very important ways. Again, uh, I got a really strong feeling intuitively that it was time to write a book. I know myself well enough to know that if I did this by myself, it would never happen. First of all, I'm a lazy ass. And, <laughs> and second of all, I was really, I've lived in a very sheltered professional life in a certain way. I'm not active in the therapeutic community here. I've been in business by myself. I live in my little bubble. It's a very sweet bubble. And I thought to myself, you know, if I write a book and, and really, you know, start to express my, uh, my ideas and feelings, it's going to take me out of my bubble and expose me to the world around me in a way that I've not been comfortable before. So I thought, I got to do this with somebody else. I can't do it by myself because it won't happen. So I sat quietly in my office and I um, 
you know, was sort of praying, I guess, for lack of a better way of putting it, okay, so who's the person that I should approach with this? And uh, your lovely face popped into my mind. <laughs> and I thought, well, that's it, interesting. It wasn't in a dream. No, it wasn't okay. in a dream. This was in real life. Your face popped into my mind. And I thought, well, that's interesting. I didn't really think about Kim in this regard. Um, but I knew that it was the right answer as soon as I, as soon as I sort of got an image of you. And that's why I approached you. And, you know, I, I know it took us a while to kind of get going. But, um, and the same thing was true with the podcast aspect of things. I was sitting here kind of wondering, well, I wonder if there's something more that I should be doing besides writing a book. And um, I got to, again, the message, you got to do your podcast and you can't wait for the book to be done before you do it. And so, again, I, that's why I approached you because uh, intuitively I just had a feeling like we shouldn't wait, that we should get as much information out into the world about our philosophy about fear and how to help you know, people uh, manage their lives in a more graceful way and that there's all kinds of really interesting people that we could have conversations with that would be really inspiring for people to hear about. And so that's why I approached you uh, and said, okay, here's our next thing, Kim. <laughs> and <laughs> I appreciate the fact that you didn't like the idea at first, but I'm glad that upon reflection, uh, you know, you decided to do it because it's been one of the funnest things I've ever done in my life. If you approach me with the next thing again, I'll make sure I took the, turn the brain switch off first. Yeah. Well, so far. <laughs> and then see how I actually feel about it. Right. So you've been in clinical practice for some 40 years now. Um, and so obviously intuition plays a role in the type of clients or patients that, that you see here. And so can you kind of describe, I mean, is it in, does it play a role in every client that you see or... Uh, it's, it's really, truly, um, the, the genesis of how I practice is that, um, um, I know that according to the state of California, I'm supposed to diagnose you if you come to see me and come up with a treatment plan. The American uh, medical model. Yeah. And to figure out what's wrong with you and to treat you like, you know, there's something wrong with you and that we got to fix you and all that. Um, I have never been comfortable with that notion. Um, I believe that the symptoms that a person brings into my world, generally speaking, are a form of communication and they are a way of helping me understand what's happening on a deeper level inside of you. But mostly when I first meet somebody, I take their emotional temperature using my intuition. And part of what comes to me in the first meeting is what your capacity for change is, how deep the pain is, whether there's a biological component to your suffering, which I always think is an important uh, part of you know, what a person can bring into my life. And so um, the assessment that I do is really a very much of an intuitive assessment. And it really helps me understand whether you're in the right place or not right from the get-go, as soon as you walk in the door. Actually, as soon as I look out into my waiting room and see your face for the first time, uh, you communicate so, the person communicates so much to me that, um, uh, that it pretty much I can tell whether, the, you know, the person is in the right place or not. I'm gonna I'm gonna base this on your clinical practice. The 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 uh, percentage of clients that you see that actually listen and trust their intuition. Ooh, that's a tough one because um, some people are more in tune with their intuition than others, obviously. But I would say that most of the, the disaster that befalls us in our lives is by not listening to our intuition. 
often couples come to see me when their marriage is in trouble or their relationship's in trouble. And one of the things that um, I ask them when I first meet them is, you know, when you first got together, did you have a feeling that whatever it is that uh, you're struggling with now was a problem before you made it a sort of an official commitment to each other? I'm going to answer yes to yeah, that question. You know, I will say to you that universally. Because I can see myself being right. that person. So Yeah, well, universally, Kim, nobody has ever said no to me. Never. And I think to myself, well, what? And so the, the obvious question is, you know, well, how did you overcome what you knew? And the person, what they do is describe to me what I would call magical thinking. Mm-hmm. I thought he would change. I thought you would change. I didn't think it was that big of a deal. I was lonely. I figured that this was the best person I could possibly be with. You know, everybody's got problems. I've heard every rationalization known to man and women and then, and then some. And usually the person just tried to convince themselves that whatever it is that's happening is going to disappear using magic. And usually, unfortunately, it gets worse, not better with the passage of time. And that's not to say that there aren't problems in every relationship, but if you ignore them from the beginning, you're just looking for trouble. And I get that loneliness is incredibly pervasive in our world right now. And so we're trying really hard to find companionship and so on and so forth. And so, you know, just because there's something that you know is problematic doesn't mean that you shouldn't stay in the relationship, but ignoring it is what creates the problem. Because I've never seen spontaneous healing without a person having to make effort for that to happen. You know, having a relationship is like growing a garden in a way. If you don't tend to it, everything's going to shrivel up and die. And the same thing is true in our relationships. And, And your relationship with yourself, which is, you know... The other part of things, which is I spend a lot of time doing the best I can to help people realize that when someone says to me, as an example, I feel really confused. My response is usually, I'm not sure that that's really the problem. I think it's that you're afraid, that you're scared to trust what you know because of the implications. And so it's not really that you're confused. You didn't, you know what you want to do or what needs to be done, but you're terrified of doing it because of the, uh, because it's either going to create conflict or uh, you could lose the relationship or so, something that scares you out of knowing what you know. And so it's easier to feel confused than it is to admit how scared you are. Yeah, I, I agree 100% with that because, again, what we're all talking about ties back to fear. Right. Right. I'm a big believer that we actually know the answer. The answer is within, right? But we choose to ignore that because of, of how it's either going to make us feel, how it's going to make the other person feel, how it's going to change the situation that we're in and so on and so forth. And that we become comfortable in those um, dark patterns. Right. Right. And we don't, we, we don't want to step out of that box. It's again, it's kind of that retreating versus, you know, going toward, um, the fear there um, that causes us the problem and it causes the people that come through your door causes me, you know, consternation and, and, and all those things through my life and until I figured it out in, in that way that, you know, I was, you know, I could sit there and justify it away. I could sit there and blame it on my upbringing. I can sit there and blame it on society's conditioning of my mind. But in the end, who's the common denominator on that story? It's, it's me, right? So unless I change and have that conscious introspection within myself, get to know who I am, why I'm here, what I have to offer. 
and become content with that um, and then start listening to actually how I feel instead of trying to talk myself out of how I feel, then I'm at a pretty good place right there. Um, so, um, but it's, it does, it is interesting how, again, and why we're writing a book and having a podcast on fear, because it all ties back in, no matter what we talk about, whether it's, it's intuition, whether it's faith, whether, you know, we talk about death and other subjects that we've talked about in these 15 episodes, it all ties back to fear, right? And how you manage that fear. Absolutely. Um, so we have a few minutes left, um, in, in, and I know that uh, that we are going to have an expert, or, or who we, you and I, kind of deem as an expert, that has written in a couple of his books uh, about uh, intuition, and I think he explains it well. But but maybe somebody that's listening right now, before we have this special guest on in in a in a, um, an episode down the road that it's thinking that, well, maybe I'm not so much in tune with my intuition as I thought I was, or maybe I want to become more in tune with my intuition. What, what are some of the things that somebody could do to become in tune with their intuition? That's a great question. Uh, I think it depends on how in tune you are with your feelings to begin with. Some people, they, they really don't even know how they feel most of the time because um, most of us are not brought up uh, and asked on a regular basis how we're feeling emotionally. It's how we perform that matters to our family members, by and large. Human doers instead of human beings. Exactly. So if you're a person that's not really as deeply connected to your feelings as you could be, it starts off by uh, taking your emotional temperature on a regular basis. We all have phones now. I ask people, I know it sounds a little ridiculous, but I ask people to set the alarm on their phone for every couple hours, and when the alarm rings, to ask themselves, oh, how are you feeling right now? And the, the answer actually, I mean, the, the question actually matters more than the answer because the question implies compassion toward yourself and a, and a desire to know yourself on a deeper level. And a, after a certain period of time, the feelings will, will present themselves and, and uh, it'll become really easy for most people to know how they feel. That extends to your intuition because um, your intuition can show up uh, in a number of different feelings. And some of the, sometimes when you're feeling joyful, it's because intuitively what it is that you're either thinking about doing or, 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 or doing feels really good. And so, you know, you're in the right heading in the right direction. Other times you might get a feeling of either danger or concern or whatever it might be. And you can't necessarily prove to yourself why you're, while you're having that feeling. But I promise you that if you deny it, the chances of something bad happening increase exponentially. Um, there's actually a man who wrote a book about uh, the, the different ways that we get assaulted as people and, mm-hmm. uh, um, and the really bad things that people do to each other. And he's interviewed hundreds of people and realizes that one of the best ways to survive the worst things that can happen is by not leaving your body when you're feeling under attack and by deliberately doing everything you can to stay present so that you can feel what might be an escape route or an answer to uh, a situation that you're in that could end up either causing you great harm or, uh, or even taking your life. So he extends it all the way to, um, uh, you know, to that extreme. 
That, I mean, that makes total sense, but it sounds easier said than done. It involves a lot of, of trust and, and, and understanding if it makes sense to you that that really that part of you is connected on a much deeper level to what's happening in the universe than, uh, than we might give credit to. Um, and that, you know, if, if, if you do have a spiritual belief system and you can accept the idea that, you know, the God communicates to us as human beings through our intuition, then, um, then our intuition is then sacred. And it's not something we should mess with. Even if we can't prove what it is that we're feeling is, um, you know, 100% correct in that moment. There is a caveat here that I think needs to be mentioned before we finish, and that's that there are some people who suffer from brain chemical abnormalities. Like if you're bipolar or you're schizophrenic or, you, or you're suffering from a true mental illness that has to do with brain chemistry, uh, I can't encourage you to embrace all of your feelings as being a true measure of right. reality. Because your feelings are distorted by your brain chemistry. That'd be the same with depression as well. Well, not a hundred percent, because um, the, the the brain chemi- your brain chemistry is different when you suffer from depression than it is if you suffer from one of those more severe mental uh, illnesses. You know, you're, you're talking a deviation away from reality in a way. Yeah, I mean, if you suffer from schizophrenia or you're psychotic in some way, um, that's a you know a thought disorder. And if you're bipolar, you're suffering from a mood disorder, and then you really can't 100% count on your feelings because they're being exaggerated or distorted by your brain chemistry. When you're suffering from depression, it's a depletion of neurotransmitters. Um, you, you still have an intuition under those circumstances, but it is a good idea if that's part of your, uh, your suffering to treat the, you know, to treat to treat the depletion of, 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 of the biochemicals in your brain. Well, it's been an interesting hour talking about intuition, and, and we'll have a lot more discussion about it, not only between you and I, but uh, with some special guests that we'll bring in to talk about it that, uh, that have their own story of how they've trusted their intuition or, or how they've gotten other people to trust their intuition. But, uh, again, it's a feeling and, and not a thought folks out there. And, and again, I want you to embrace your intuition. If, if we can give you one idea to take away today and uh, we'll talk to you soon down the road. Well, and I also want to say really quickly that I'm glad that your intuition uh, guided you toward what you and I are doing rather than away. And I appreciate it. You know, yeah. if you would have asked me 10 years ago, we wouldn't, wouldn't, we, we wouldn't be doing this anyway. Thanks, Dana. You're welcome. We appreciate our listeners and are interested in your comments and suggestions. Feel free to email us at fearmeoutpodcast at gmail.com. If you are interested in becoming a sponsor for this podcast, please email us at fearmeoutpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening. See you next time.